0: Three. It's time for Cubicle Insanity. I've got Kim here with me, and I'm Tammy. We're back together again to talk a little bit about that which we love, corporate America. What we talk about applies to most organizations, whether you be in government or a nonprofit or manufacturing or financial services or, or anything, um, any organization really around the globe. So our podcast is a discussion about the real insanity from cubicles in the workplaces from leadership and leaders to experiences with life in the cubicles. Kim, are you ready? Let's get into it. Okay. So Kim, let's today, let's talk about this book, Uh, a little book report today on a book called no ego by Cy Wakeman. And the, uh, what is it? the sort of subtitle on no ego is how leaders can cut the cost of workplace drama and entitlement and drive big results. That sounds amazing, right? Well,
1: just workplace drama. There's such a thing.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So I will tell you, that's what sort of hooked me on this. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. What is this? Yeah. And it, it, on the the cover of the book, it also says New York times bestselling author, of the reality-based rules of the workplace. Okay, I love reality. Um, So what is this going to be about? And um, so it's actually kind of a series of books. I I mean, I don't know if they definitely rely on each other, but Cy Wakeman has written um, several books. So obviously a New York Times bestselling author. And the... um, the root of the the book, uh, along with the others, is this reality-based leadership and uh, taking based on her experience as a, a people manager and a leader within an organization has now developed this reality-based leadership. And I, I would have to say just by the title alone and kind of uh, the high level stuff, I was like, yes, I think I can totally be brought into this. I need to read this book. And so I'm going to read a little excerpt from the description of this book. For years now, leaders in almost every industry have accepted two completely false assumptions that change is hard and that engagement drives results. Okay, so just on that, Kim, do you think those are false assumptions, change is hard, and engagement drives results?
1: Do I think those are false assumptions? No, change is hard.
0: And what about engagement? Does it drive results?
1: Uh, Not always.
0: Okay. So this, okay, so this is where it gets interesting. So um, I'm going to call out a couple of of things um, from the book. We won't, of course, go into all the details, but um, the book starts with, Side telling this story about becoming um, a people manager and how HR said, you know, an open door policy is the way to go. Like, make sure the people who work for you know that you're available, etc. And so she did. She's like, yeah, I can definitely do that. And so, you know, she noticed That she had an open door policy and employees would, you know, the people who work for her would peek their head and be like, Oh, hey, do you have a minute? And being a new people leader, she's like, Of course I do. Come in. And what she found was that it was not one minute or two minutes. It was probably 45 minutes to an hour of them popping in and really it becomes what um she begins to call uh bmws and it that stands for bitching moaning and whining Mm. and so they they rev their bmws into her office and it was really just this sort of emotional waste it was all drama that the open door policy was creating. And so they'd come in and they would talk about their teammates or they would talk about what was happening, but not what they were going to do about it or not about some, you know, in order to achieve this goal or to drive the business forward, I want your input on this. It didn't feel like it was those big decisions and strategic decisions, but rather emotional waste and drama. Mm-hmm can you relate? Do you, do you, do you believe that story?
1: Uh, I've seen that occur. Yes.
0: And uh, you're, so you're aware of the BMWs? Yes. I used to have a manager and um, we would have a, a team meeting, you know, once a week for like an hour or whatever. And the first portion of uh, the meeting, um, he called the BMs and I thought that was funny but it was the bitching and moaning. Like, okay, guys, I get it. We all have rough lives and you know it's hard to come to work with some of these people. And so he would sort of just like open it up a little bit for venting. Like, okay, go ahead and bitch and moan for a while and then we'll move on to the big stuff, the stuff we've really got to you know, take care of. Yeah, yep. Um, so when I read BMWs, I was like, oh, that's just a nicer way of uh, saying it. Yeah. So this is where um, Cy becomes a researcher and uh begins this so even from the moment she was this uh first time people manager sort of becomes this researcher because she's like I'm a people manager and I'm doing exactly what HR told me and I have this open door policy but I'm not helping my people I'm not making big decisions it's just all this drama that's happening and so clearly HR is wrong now Those are my words. It's a little different in the book, but Kim, I think that this is where my first sort of like angst came as I was reading through this book. Yeah, Uh, it felt like there was a little bit of blame on HR, and there's a part of me that goes, "Okay, I'm yes, rightfully so. Sometimes HR, much like every department, uh, deserves a little bit of blame, and maybe they could be doing their jobs better, Um, but." Uh, I think that was part of my initial struggle that there was, is this my HR background coming into play? Am I being defensive? There was a little bit of, whoa, wait a minute. Don't blame HR for telling you like, did they really tell you like just have an open door policy and accept anything that comes through the door Right. or, you know, like, so I think that was my first struggle when I said that, how did that make you feel? Did you feel the same way with your HR background?
1: Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, like we've learned, is ownership. She needs to take ownership for her actions but and how she's going to manage. But, um, yeah, HR, what? My first reaction was, what? HR wrong, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. Have we, as, as HR professionals, Give some guidance that we with good intent and it's turned out to not be so good, sure that's happened absolutely,
0: yeah, and this is a little bit of the um like I can pick on my sibling, but oh, don't you dare yeah. I, maybe that's what I'm feeling a little yeah. bit um so anyway, uh I agree with you, like take ownership of what's happening and whatever, but the interesting thing, okay, so um. Uh I'll I'll climb over that hurdle and I'm gonna share a fact with you. Um based on her research. I won't go into all of it and things like that, but here is here's is a fact um from her research. The average worker spends two and a half hours per day in drama. Oh, Do you think, think so?
1: I think some days it's eight to ten hours. <laughs> Yes. I I think that that's a very high number.
0: If you think about what you pay someone like to come to work uh, and two and a half, right. I mean, that's more than a quarter of their time is spent on drama.
1: Yeah. That, um, that seems excessively high
0: it does so uh i want you to know that i've done an informal um tracking of my uh my time and how much time i spend in drama yeah and i don't have a highly dramatic situation but uh i there are times where i do like specifically note like I'm engaging in drama right yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm doing right now I'm not working I'm engaging in the drama and sometimes it and because I think I I have been aware of this because I read the book and I thought two and a half hours there's no way I spend two and a half hours a day in drama and I don't but what it has done is now I'm aware like uh, be it through uh, instant message or texting or a phone call or email um, or a meeting. I now feel like I am aware that, okay, this is not work. This is drama. We are spending unproductive time on something we can't control and doesn't really matter for us to get our jobs done. Yeah. So, Um, It is interesting to kind of watch that time. So I have worked in places, and Kim, I'm sure you have too, that I'm sure that I probably did easily hit that two and a half or come to the average, you know, of two and a half hours of drama. And when I realized, when I put it in that sort of terms, I was like, gosh, I feel a little bit guilty that, you know, all that unproductive time. (laughs) Unproductive time. But, um, but it happened. So, so, so why, why you, what would be, go ahead.
1: While you were just saying that I just looked at my phone, you know, my, to look at the number of calls I had today to kind of just estimate my time. Mm-hmm. And I spent 45 minutes collectively today on one employee's drama. Now I was, did you? I was the HR trying to help the employee, but they created some drama today
0: that consumed 45 minutes in total. And that's just your time. Yeah. And so if you add that up of the employee and the other people who are involved. Times four. That's a lot of unproductive time. Yeah. And so of course, like the whole, like the book back to the sort of subtitle here: how leaders can cut the cost of workplace drama. Um, and so that's that's a lot of time. Um, now, uh, Cy Wakefield, the author, does now have this um, uh, organization, reality-based leadership. And so, uh, a lot of time spent with their clients in in dealing with this and how to stop this and whatnot. So, um, here's uh here's a little snippet from the book in reality based leadership. Um, the survey leaders reported that 32 percent of the time they spend dealing with drama in the workplace is spent addressing what she likes to call Ego behaviors. So, examples of an ego behavior are dealing with hurt feelings, misinterpretation, or speculation. Could be dealing with employee hearsay or gossip. Or it could be handling defensiveness or resistance to feedback. It could be dealing with employees who vent or complain. It could be managing workplace gossip. It could be addressing employees who tattle or judge others. And the last example is addressing employees who compare their situations with others. So do any of those apply to what happened to you today? Ooh,
1: a comprehensive checklist.
0: (laughs) All of the above. Check. I um so the one I think so like as I was going through this, like I said, there's there was a couple of things like you know, like I like I felt an emotional response to the sort of blaming of HR. Um, but the thing that was real interesting, like uh, I think like feelings and uh gossip and and whatever, like those make sense. Yeah. The one that jumped out at me was handling defensiveness because that's true that happens I mean I think that human nature we uh tells us like we we get defensive about because we you know we don't want to be wrong we don't want you know our 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 behavior to be uh sort of exploited as bad behavior and so we we get defensive so that one sort of jumped out at me I was like that's a good call out the amount of time that does get spent such that you know trying to make a situation get back on track that somebody is being defensive
1: so I will tell you I spent one hour with a separate employee on that today that very topic did you really of defensiveness yep trying to help them turn around a situation
0: yeah it's I think it's a great, I mean, I never really, I don't know that if you would have said, okay, so like workplace trauma, I don't know that I would have thrown defensiveness in there, but it absolutely fits. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's just not as obvious as the others. And so when you think about like the open door policy and, Oh, can I, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Um, if you are going in there to maybe tattle on somebody, I mean, either coming back at you or the other person, someone's going to get defensive in this whole situation, so, Absolutely. so emotional waste, so, um, so let me ask, you if all cuts, this, yeah,
1: me, if all this goes away, do HR people have jobs, is this book really how to eliminate HR roles, do you know what,
0: okay, I, so, <laughs> before we, before we got into this, I told you, like, I, I I'm having a little bit of a struggle with this book, yeah. like, there's so many things that, Spoke to me and I relate to and I can see but the relationship that Sai must have had with HR in her uh, various positions I don't think it was a positive positive. Um, and so this is I think where I was like well okay I, I can talk bad about my sibling or I can pick on my sibling but you can't right um, uh, you and I have worked in HR together and we've had lots of HR colleagues and I might be the first one to point out that some of them were not stellar. Um, And, you know, I probably did not, I, I, without being defensive, I will admit I at times probably was not stellar myself, but there is sort of this underlying um, HR is not maybe that valuable. And so I, I agree that there are some people that may not be, Um, extremely valuable in all situations, but you know, maybe their strengths are in other areas. Um, but let let me get a little bit further because we're going to come back and touch on that because there's, uh, some other things that I was like, um, hmm, okay. So, uh, the next area that she talks about, um, that I thought was extremely interesting was engagement surveys. Okay. And so, uh, as I said, the, the, in the, reading the little snippet of uh, the book, that this was um, a completely false assumption was that engagement drives results. And so she talks about employee engagement surveys. And I know you and I have both been involved um, from the HR side, also taken in as employees, but uh, on these engagement surveys. And uh, typically... Uh, a company will engage with an organization that uh, has their expertise in engagement surveys, and they will come in and survey the employees. You get the results back. And uh, typically it is the HR function that organizes the thing and will, will provide the results back to each uh, leader uh, at the highest level leaders, all the way down to the individual people leaders, and then action plans are developed mm-hmm. based on the results. And so when they say that it's false that engagement drives results, I think that needs a little bit further definition. Because at the surface, I would say I do think engagement drives results. Uh, but as a whole pro- yes. as a whole, yeah. So the point that Sai makes in this book, which is really interesting, is essentially the survey uh, is a little bit uh, uh, approaching it from the wrong direction. In that, in giving the survey to all employees and taking those results back, aggregating them, um, uh, and I won't even though I was involved how many times, I don't remember the details, is that if there's seven or more responses, then you can aggregate it and share the results. Um, that the, the fundamental of that survey and how you take those results is that every employee's response is counted equally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before I say anything else, Kim, what do you think of that?
1: Uh, I have a couple of different thoughts on it. One, I mean, just from a pure perspective, everybody's feedback should count equally. But then if you look at it, you know, you might have a brand new employee that thinks, you know, the company is in utopia and you might have a 30 year person who has had enough and is like, you know what, I'm so done with this company. So, excuse it a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. And so much kind of like the HR comment. This one was, I, I struggled with. So to your point, there's a couple of views on this or how, how it would happen. And yeah, the site says that what, basically why would you count everybody's uh, yeah. response? Everybody's vote, everybody's feedback. Why would you count it equally? And this is where she gets into the point of accountability and we really need to drive as a leader accountability and those employees that are taking accountability are actually the ones that should have sort of higher weight to their responses. And um, one of the examples, that she talks about is that w- with this reality-based leadership with her organization, they try to also then take a cut at the data to slice it also based on accountability. So, so they hey. had this. Yeah. Okay. So so we'll um we'll get there. Um. But the people who are accountable for what they do um, versus the ones who aren't—I um, I, don't—I'm ha- not finding the page here in front of me. But essentially, what she talks about is those that take accountability. When they talk about um, the, the the company, they're talking about what's best for the company and how we're going to drive results for the company. Those employees that are not taking accountability they have sort of a me first kind of response and that is in um well i i i can't be successful because i don't have this or i don't have that instead versus as compared to those who are taking accountability they're putting the the organization first and the results of the organization first versus themselves Interesting. It is interesting. So, see, I feel like you're you're um, perhaps enjoying my struggle with this book as well.
1: It's just interesting because the thing I'm thinking is very tactically about the the, survey, and typically you fill them out as an employee anonymously, right? Yeah. So, how do you how do you assign? like employee number 938 that filled out the survey, that one's accountable because, because then that loses the trust of the employees that, Hey, this is an anonymous open feedback. We want the truth from you.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So this is, um, their, uh, their take on the survey. Okay. So they're asking some additional questions to, um, assign, evaluate, um, that accountability. So I'm, I'm going to jump a little bit here to, um, what she's outlined is these great coaching questions. So I've told you about her experience with that open door and the emotional drama that, that it's that she felt it helped perpetuate and the survey that if you have these um, employees who are accountable, then you get a a little bit better uh, look at the data on really um, how those employees are engaging and maybe what those action items should be. And so when you have this emotional drama and you know with you when you have as a leader that you're trying to deal with and and that you you're trying to create this um uh sense of accountability everyone is 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 taking ownership and accountability so uh, uh, let's uh, the idea behind these these uh coaching questions really are uh in this situation where maybe you have the open door policy someone comes in And it's all about that emotional waste or it's all about that drama. How do you turn it around? And how do you get this employee who is in front of you creating the emotional waste? How do you get them on the right track? Um, And so here's some of the questions. What did you do to help? What do you know for sure? So the focus there on facts. Tell me the facts about the situation. What could you do next to add value? What would great look like? Are you using your opinion to move the idea forward or to stop the action? What would add more value right now, your opinion or your action? Would you rather be right or be happy? So Kim, if if you came to me as your leader and you're having a bad day, things have upset you, and I say to you, what could you do next to add value? What do you think your reaction would be?
1: Um, I I think it's a mixed answer. I think it's in context. Um, If said in the right in the right way. Um. I think it could help kind of get the – pull the person out of out of the, the moaning, groaning, uh, complaining.
0: BMW, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: uh, the last question that you read off, though, I don't like in any context. I, I do think, though, if, uh, you know, you're sitting there and you're kind of un- as an employee and I'm unloading and I, I just got to get off my chest and I'm good, and you go, but what could you do to – okay manager that's not helpful i just needed to get it off my chest i'm good to go i think it, like i said it's context because if you depend upon the employee right because if this person is hey i need to talk it through i need to you know helping them ask some questions that'll help them get through this fine that's one way but if you've got another employee that hey they just got to get it off their chest and then they're good and they're back on on their game and on their way then why would you ask the questions
0: okay so uh yeah i i'm 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 completely on board so i'm going to share um this i'm going to read directly from the book here okay and she says so, so again she's sort of talking about um the, uh how to to deal with um uh these employees who are maybe doing the drive bys or or you know getting them sort of refocused from drama you know back to productivity and um so she says leaders um have been told that it's healthy to allow employees to vent and it's not that was another one of those areas where i'm conflicted Because I feel like myself, sometimes, you know what, I just need to vent. I need to say it out loud and that's what is really going to help me get over it. And then I can move on. Like I said it out loud. It's out in the universe. Now I can go get back to work. So sometimes I do feel like venting is something that helps me move towards productivity because I feel like whether the person I'm talking to acknowledges it, agrees, whatever, I have me, myself, I've said it out loud, and now I can move on.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, um, the thing I'm thinking about is, is she saying that from the perspective as a manager that she really doesn't want to interface with employees and have, allow employees to, to do that? And I know some managers are like that. Like They don't want employees talking to them about what are the problems or just venting. There's managers that that I've come across that just, you come in and you're like, I got X, Y, and Z going on and here's what I'm doing about it. End of story, move on. And then there's other managers that are very compassionate and will say, hey, how's it going? And allow you to vent for a minute or two or whatever time it takes and then kind of guide you. From her perspective of this book, though, it sounds like, you know, she's a manager, or was a manager that, um, is one that, you know, doesn't want that type of engagement with an employee, it's just her style.
0: Okay. Do you know what? I, I, so you have, I think brought something to light for me that I was feeling and that is, uh, I, and maybe like, so I sort of had this like sort of, I'm going to call it maybe a little bit of resistance as I was reading this book. Like there were certain things like that, that I, that I talked about earlier you know about the HR and whatever that left me feeling a little bit like, I'm not sure that I agree. Some of these overarching points, absolutely. But some of the other things I don't. And, and the way you just phrased that, I I think I agree with, and that is how you engage with your employees. And there, to some extent, um, I, of course, each you know employee that might work for you is a little bit different, and maybe how you engage with them and their venting, because I think they're like like I said, I just need to say it out loud, and then I can move on.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we've, and, and, we've, worked, we've worked together long enough that um, I know that about you, right? You just got to You got to vent, and you're good, and you move on. And we've worked with other people that they got to vent, they got to talk it through, they need help to kind of get it out of their brain, even though they've put it out there, they need someone else to have that inner, that that exchange with them to kind of get their mind rethinking and refocused on the direction in which they need to go.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, and then there's also those others who vent just to vent and it's not, ever going to end. It's not like they're going to listen. They're just, but so, so I had a little bit of a, a weird feeling about that. I, I will, I will also add here that she talks about sympathy versus empathy. And, um, it, it, at being a leader should really be using empathy and not sympathy and using that empathy and, and following it with a call to greatness, she calls it. Um, where sympathy is more sort of like getting into that emotional trap with the employee, which I agree is not the way to go. Um, don't, she called it reinforcing the victim perspective. We all know those victims. We worked with them.
1: Yep. Um,
0: so I agree that's not the right way to go. Empathy is about, I, again, like if I'm venting, acknowledge it happened and now let's move on and let's look for, okay, now how do we, how do we become great again? Yeah. And so uh, I I thought that was a nice call up. That was that was something that spoke to me is that sympathy versus empathy. And I've worked for uh, myself leaders who are sympathetic. And I don't know that our organization became great. I've worked for those that are empathetic. And there is a difference there. Um, And then I've also worked for leaders who don't listen. So that causes more probably, um, emotional waste that that's where the two and a half hours might come in a day.
1: Yeah. So what would you say about,
0: um,
1: I'll I'll share with you kind of how I coached an employee today. They were talking about the situation with their manager and I said, yep, I can relate. I'm kind of had a similar situation and here's what I did. So was I sympathizing or being empathetic?
0: Um, how, so how did the conversation end? Like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're in the same boat and, and did it end on that sort of note or did it end on the note? Yeah. This is what's happened. Here's how we can overcome.
1: Yeah. So it was, um, Hey, this was really helpful to hear that. you know, you've gone through something similar And how you navigated through it, it gives me some things to think about and go do.
0: Yeah, then I think it's empathy. I share with you and understand. But that's not the definition of of what we are. We're going to be better, you know. And so to me, that's empathy. Sympathy is, oh, yeah, like that really sucks for you. And it really sucks for me. And aren't they horrible?
1: Yeah, okay. That's the point and it
0: doesn't you know what I mean, and it yeah. and that's where it ends, like yeah we've we, we are the victims, we have been um we have been wronged, where empathy is, yes, you know what, um, I understand where you're coming from, and you know i i, I you know whatever is within our control, um you know here's uh we can take these learnings and now apply it and dec- and determine how to move forward, yeah okay, yeah, um. Okay, so so, so uh, to kind of bring this back to the no ego, she talks a lot about ego, which I haven't brought up much. A, a lot about, um, and we learned this, uh, what was the name of the book you uh, did a, a oh, book report yeah. on? Extreme Ownership. We all
1: have egos.
0: We all have egos. And, and she acknowledges that. She says the same thing. We've got, all got egos, but we've got to get past that. And, and, and so in similar uh, fashion to um, extreme ownership, we all have egos, we have to keep them in check. And so to that point of defensiveness, um, and things like that. And so uh, going back to accountability and emotional waste, it's all about ego. And so you know, this leader who is dealing with this employee, um, or this team, it's about Everybody's bringing their ego. And so how do we work such that the ego um, is sort of kept in check? So it, it doesn't become about defensiveness or it doesn't become about that ego. But how do we really sort of set that aside and make great strides together? So a lot of those things, you know, kind of that we were chatting about all come down to how do we address this situation and remove ego? And um, in in the, in the uh, description, the little uh, snippet I gave you about the book about the completely false assumptions. One was change is hard, and so the the first uh, portion, you know, that we've been talking about here was more related to engagement drives results and, and those BMWs and and getting past them, and how how to uh, get away from that emotional waste, that getting back that two and a half hours a day um, on average for each employee. But to the notion that change is hard, um, the point she makes here is not that change um, isn't hard, but it's the approach to change. So there's a little bit again of uh, Uh, I'm going to call it the dig on HR and their approach to change management. And that it's, you know, there, there's been, you know, sort of the uh, different iterations of uh, theories and approaches to change management and really the way to prepare for change that she describes it as um, she calls business readiness. And so It's not uh, a a change management theory or uh, anything really um, about change management. But if you build in this business readiness, then you've built a team that is prepared to handle change. And so it's not about managing the change, it's about building uh, an organization or building a team that is agile enough to accept change. And one example she gives and it's sort of a, a simple uh example, but uh if you've been through this, you know the pain it could cause. And that is she um had this particular team and and due to the actual physical building and and some remodeling and such that was happening, the team she had, um, in, in, in like a uh, a nine-month period, um, I don't have the exact details here, but had to move their location. So move their desks, move their cubicles uh, four times in this nine-month period. And they began complaining. How are we supposed to get our work done? You know, we have to keep moving and packing and unpacking and uh, all of these things. And so the example there is, Let's not complain about our situation. Let's just assume we're going to have to move on a frequent basis. So, how do we prepare ourselves? How do we set ourselves up such that we can adapt very quickly? And so, that's sort of her uh, thought process around business readiness. Let's prepare our organization, let's prepare our teams such that we know change is coming. And it's not about change management and how do we, you know, uh, prepare the organization or the people um, for the change and try to plan to cause the least amount of disruption as possible. But let's build our organization such that they are agile enough to just accept the change and continue to be productive. That part of the book was the part that made the most sense to me. I like it.
1: Yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, I'll counter it just slightly, though, to say that being ready to constantly move is not part of like cha- a change management plan. Well, it is because you're building that thinking into your employees, so it's part of your change management plan.
0: Yeah. The one thing I feel very strongly about and maybe it's not change management but it's communication. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know that humans or organizations by nature are good at communication. It's something that has to, we have to remind each other about. And by communicating, if somebody feels like they're in the know, then they're ready for when it happens. Like, yes. oh, dear your organization. We might be buying a new building. We might be moving in the near future. That way, when that time comes, we have communicated. And so all of those employees are like, oh yeah, well, yep, they did. I mean, sure, there's going to be the resistors. I, I won't deny that. But for the most part, people feel like, oh yeah, we knew this. Remember they told us. Like, and so I do think a, a communication plan which is typically part of, you know, a change management plan is really key. And to me, do we have to think a lot about change if we were just better communicators? I don't know. I'm a huge believer in communicating. And I know that at different times, you know, if you're a public company, you know, you're restricted in certain ways about what you can communicate about. But in general, if, if, if leadership, if people managers are communicating with the people about what is happening or what might be happening, then when that thing happens, they already feel in the know and we've already preempted the disruption that that change might cause. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the, the, the way she approached her talk about change management, again, it's one of those things where I was a little bit like, I don't know that I'm completely bought into what you're saying, but I am completely bought into business readiness. But I think that you still have to have a communication plan. You still need to be transparent and open with your organization, with all employees or, or or the right set of employees you need to continue to communicate with that way. Surprises are the worst for anybody, whether it's for employees or, or for managers, when something surprises them, that's the worst. Absolutely. So if we focus on that communication, I think that that definitely, um, helps with the business readiness and maybe we don't call it change management, but it's, to me, it's the same thing. It's, I think communication is key. Agree. Um, now, a couple of things that have sort of uh, been undercurrent here is that focus on 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 the right talent. So, when we when I brought up the engagement surveys and focusing on those who are accountable. And I do believe um in accountability and that each employee should want to uh take on that accountability for what they do. And The one example I really enjoyed that she gave here is um, uh, her and her family have a lake home and they love, uh, you know, being out on the boat. So she has this sort of like rule um, that she'll say, okay, um, everybody who wants to, you know, go out on the boat, uh, be on the dock in 10 minutes and the children rush around and the adults, whoever's there, rush around to get ready. And they get out to the dock in that 10 minutes so they can all get on the boat and get out into the lake. And she tells the story of, you know, the one child who is kind of moping around. And so the 10-minute mark is approaching. And instead of, you know, heading out to the dock and preparing the boat, rather she spends time with this moping child Um, who's like, but, you know, I mean, what if my friend calls and wants to do something with me and I'm out on the boat, will you bring me back? Or, you know, what, can we listen to my music while we're on the boat and not the others? And uh, uh, perhaps um, in in a way, uh, trying to be humorous here, I'll liken it to um, negotiating with a terrorist. Um, So, Instead of the people who are engaged and taking accountability and being part of the whole and moving the organization forward, which are those people who are out on the dock in 10 minutes, she doesn't focus on them. They're the ones who are driving results. Rather, she focused on the one person who is counterproductive. and. That example she gives, um, to me, uh, it spoke volumes. And I was like, that's I feel like I have I, I and maybe that's the sympathy versus empathy again. I feel like I can think of probably examples where I as a people leader felt victim. Or even I as HR, I felt victim to that one person who was counterproductive, who was not the talent I should be focusing on. Which then, by, by putting my attention there, look at the great productivity, the great accountability, the great results that I am not paying attention to. And so, the, again, as a leader, so, you know, we, we've kind of covered a lot of things here, but focusing on the talent, and maybe those are the ones who, the ones who are accountable, who get the higher uh, sort of uh, weight on their engagement survey results, but putting my focus on those people who are going to drive me forward and making this per- this one counterproductive uh, person, this one employee who's sort of holding everyone back, putting it, putting it into terms for them about what they are doing to the organization and how to push them towards accountability such that now we have the entire group moving forward and driving great results.
1: Yeah, there's, um, the, what's uh, the, I'm trying to think of the statistic that one bad employee consumes, what, 25 or more percent. I, I, I'm not sure of the percentage. It's a high percentage of t- managers' time and takes them away from investing and developing and coaching the better performers. So, um, so I agree with what you know what she's saying there. Because how often have we coached managers take take action on the bad you know on the bad employees? I shouldn't say bad employees, but the employees that aren't in the right role, help them land someplace else. And if they're just not delivering results, then you have a responsibility to the company to make some decisions, some hard decisions, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And, and she talks about that. And I, I completely agree. I think the part where, so there, uh, overall this book, again, Cy Wakeman, no ego, this reality-based I'm, I mean, I'm on board. There was just a few things that I left that, that gave me pause, maybe rubbed yeah. me slightly the wrong way. Yeah. And I I agree with the empathy and not sympathy. And I agree with let's focus on our talent and those who are taking accountability and and driving us forward. I think the part where I struggled and so you might have to help me put this in words if you know where I'm going. And that sure. is we have employees. And maybe, in this moment, with this particular leader, or in this moment, in this particular role, or with this particular assignment, they are they are maybe causing the emotional waste. They are maybe not taking accountability. But back to the uh, creating this environment with communication, um, openness, transparency, integrity, if this is a good employee i i I don't want to only I don't want to eliminate the focus on all employees and only focus on those who are taking accountability, um et cetera. There was a part of me as I read this that I want to make sure that all employees are in the right roles, uh doing the right things because I I sort of fundamentally believe then they'll take accountability. Yes. And I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people who go to work going, I'm just going here to pass time and I enjoy creating drama for others. And so there are those who you do have to sort of uh, break ties with and that's best for that employee. And it's best for the organization and things are going to turn out better for both in that situation but I think that there is a little bit of a, a responsibility, maybe that's the wrong word, of managers for those good and smart and um, employees that have something to give to make sure they get to that right place where they can give the most. Yes. Yeah, I agree I felt you. like yeah, I when agree. I read the book, I felt there was a little bit of a, uh a uh, uh, black and white either you're on or you're off and if you're not going to go in this direction I'm I'm going to sort of give you that opportunity to move in another do you know what I mean
1: yeah you're either on the bus or off, you're off the bus or you're in there yeah. you're, you're either on the boat or you're still sitting on the dock
0: yeah I would like to believe that if the person got hired in your organization, there was something of value. And how do you find uh, if if there's organizational changes and role changes and team changes and things that happen? How do we get that smart and uh, good employee into the right place? Maybe working for you on this team in this role is not the right place. But how do we make sure that they understand? where we're going and how they contribute. I don't think it's always up to the employee to determine how they contribute. Um, And that could be part of the emotional waste is they don't understand. Yes. And
1: I agree with you. I don't think that there's a lot of employees that um, come in and say, Oh, I'm just going to create office drama today and I'm going to waste time and, and not contribute in any way. I do think that there are at times um, people hired and after a short period of time, both parties come to the realization that it's one not a fit, either culturally, organizationally, whatever it might be, or they're just not in the right role. Um, But if they're trying, right, if they're trying, even though they're not in the right role, you help them move to a different role. You help them find where, where's the right role, the right fit. So I agree with you about the book being just a little bit kind of black and white. And when you're dealing with people, it's not always black and white. I, it, could, yeah. it could be. I mean, some people can take that approach and say, it "Is either this or that, and there's nothing in between. But I would say that, those are not good managers, good leaders. Those aren't leaders, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, so th- I think, so this, I was going to have this, you know, reality-based um, leadership. And so I was thinking about this. So I, I, I have mixed feelings. I mean, overall, a lot of the things and a lot of the uh, uh, principles or approaches that are talked about in the book, I agree with there's a few things where I feel like it might, I want to back it off a little bit. And so if you're an organization and, you know, let's say maybe, uh, there's some financial struggles or maybe there's been a lot of turnover and you've got a lot of new leadership and a lot of new managers in place. I think that this reality based leadership is a real good place, uh, for the managers and leadership to be and to be sort of aware of the these these principles and approaches. Because there's a, a, a large organizational transformation happening. And so by getting everybody sort of focused in the same way, and this is our thought process and how we're moving forward, again, a little black and white for me. But, like, let's just say, like, let's get all these leaders and managers on board with this. I could see where there are tremendous results. And if the, each manager, like, if I think about even the organization I'm a part of today or, or organization I've, I've been part of before, if each manager is focusing on ensuring that each employee on the team is taking accountability for what they're doing, and is you know completely engaged with where the organization is going i mean that sounds fantastic and that's ideal yes um and i've not been probably part of an organization um where in its entirety that's the motivation and that's what's been talked about so i'm completely on board with that um I, I, I really also identify, especially I told you, I was sort of watching my own emotional waste and drama and where I was engaging with it um, in the recent weeks. So I think that it's a good thing. I'll, and I, but I'm going to go back to where she talks about business readiness. Amazing. Yes. yes. To build these teams that are business readiness. But to me, I'm not going to rule out change management because again, going back to those sort of fundamentals of communication, I think is what builds accountability and what builds those teams that are driving towards great results and having this thought process around, yes, this is a change. Yes. By implementing this process or this, system or um this uh different organization we're inflicting change and by nature humans are not good at that right so we do need to manage the change and we don't have to call it change management but we can call it communication or we can call it setting our teams up for success but i still think there's that element that we need to consider Agreed. Agreed. So, I, I mean, without saying it, I think I just stated the obvious. So we've got the, you know, the the change management aspect. Is it business readiness? Is it communication? Is it just ensuring that our, all our organization, our employees are ready for whatever we throw at them? Yes. Is it our managers who, and I agree with this not sympathetic, but they are empathetic and they are driving the accountability of each and every one of the employees. I don't want to necessarily completely, in the example of the one child who wasn't ready in the 10 minutes and on the dock, but rather negotiating, I don't want to immediately leave that child behind. I do want to focus on the all of all of them that are ready in the 10 minutes and out on the dock yeah, let's focus on them and let's keep pushing them forward. But let's find the right motivation. Let's find the right spot. Let's find the right thing for that employee who's being kind of holding themselves back, perhaps. Um, But before we cut ties, let's figure out, is there the right place where they want to engage and take accountability?
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: Kim, anything else today that you want to add there?
1: Oh, well, I think um, it's been an interesting book. And, and um, certainly going through it, there's a lot of, hmm, and thinking and back and forth in, in the brain about some of the concepts. So a very interesting book. Thanks for uh, reviewing it and bringing it on so we could discuss it. So I think we um, – yeah. I think that's about all for this particular book. You want to name the uh, restated book name again
0: one more time? Yeah. The, the book is called No Ego, and it's by Cy C.Y. Wakeman. Um, and it's a New York Times bestselling author of the reality-based rules of the workplace. So there's a, um, some additional books also by Cy Wakeman all right, that yep. relate to the same thing. Hey, maybe they'll be
1: on a uh, future podcast, so stay tuned. So uh, thanks to our listeners. Thank you to all of our active military and our veterans. And please stay tuned for our next episode of Cubicle Insanity.